This is Anabaptist Perspectives. In this episode, we respond to your questions about becoming a Mennonite and whether we are being fair with our view of church history. I'm here with Jaron and Marlon, and uh, yeah, we often get comments and questions submitted in from our viewers and listeners, and often they have excellent questions. And we don't always have the ability to respond to all of them, but in this episode, uh, we'll see if we can tackle what we think are some of the more important questions. So here's one that Walter Whitmer submitted, and we actually interviewed him uh, a few years back. This is what he said. So he said, I recently watched an episode of Anabaptist Perspectives with Stephen Russell, in which he said, Christians should just, quote, own our history, including the violent parts. I just finished reading a book called Speaking of Jesus, um, which the author argues that owning anything other than Jesus simply drives away possible followers of Jesus. He refuses to own Christian history because he insists it only distracts people from the beauty of who Jesus is slash was. And then he said, could we possibly review uh, Mr. Russell's statement on owning our, quote, our history? There's a couple angles here. Jaron, I think we had dialogued about this some. Could you maybe give us some frames of reference of, of what we're looking at here? Sure. I'll try to explain the two basic approaches that I hear. One approach that tries to explain what's happening in the present and where we're at today tries to look at the entirety of church history, including um, what happened in the Old Testament, the revelation from God to his people prior to Jesus and the church, and also even um, Western thought that wasn't necessarily Judeo-Christian. So individuals such as Plato, who had a influence on early church writers. This camp would see all of this very broad swath of history and culture and church history leading up to the present and inseparably our history. Another approach that I hear in Anabaptist churches and other other traditions as well sees us as a pilgrim church and would identify more with the separatists throughout church history. So the Waldensians, the Lollards, people like that. That perspective excludes a significant part of church history, particularly medieval Catholicism, from being our history and would instead choose to identify with the separatists and the people who were um, ostracized from the bulk of the church. Within those two perspectives, I probably see the broader approach to looking at history as our history as more honest because the Anabaptist movement, and I think this person who commented is an Anabaptist who would um, probably object to all just war and especially the abuses such as the Crusades. Um, I don't think it's entirely honest to say that that is not our history and isn't in some way explanatory for what's happening in the present. Um, the Anabaptist movement and most other Western Christian traditions did come out of medieval Catholicism, even though there was some separation at the Reformation. But I think not seeing any continuity is really not honest and it doesn't acknowledge the complexities. That's how I see it. I'm curious what you guys think. Yeah, Marlon, what, what do you what do you think? Do you agree with this? Yeah, I like the way you sketch it, but I want to ask the question, I guess, what do we mean by owning our history? It certainly doesn't mean, you know, we endorse the Crusades or something like that. We want to kind of disown them in that sense, right? We say this is wrong. And a lot of other things, Crusades are only the most dramatic example. In the broader sense, yeah, it is our history. It did help to shape things, um, changes through the Catholic Church. I also want to own the Waldensians and others. It's not like the Catholic Church had a monopoly, even in the Middle Ages. 
Yeah, because I think I think some of the the challenge can be the way we come across. Perhaps I, I'm I'm still trying to figure out how to frame this because when this came in, I just hadn't thought of it before. And then you and I had been dialoguing some um, about it. A friend of mine who had been interested in the Anabaptist movement, he said one of the challenges for him was it seemed like all we seemed to care about was the first 300 years, the early church, and then we don't really talk about church history until the Reformation and Menno Simons, that whole bit, and here we are today. Well, there's like 1,200 years of history or 1,100 years of church history there that he didn't see was being discussed and was like, well, that, does, that seems strange, odd to me. And I had honestly not thought of that before. Do y'all see that as a valid concern? Is that some of what we're seeing here where there's just large swaths of church history that maybe we're not even thinking or talking about like we should? I mean, yeah, it's definitely a problem if our church history, you know, stops with the book of Acts and restarts in Switzerland in the 1500s. <laughs> um, but I mean, you got to concentrate. You can only spend so much energy on church history too. You're going to talk more about your own immediate history just because, you know, there's limits to how much we can read, how much we can study mm-hmm. and think about. But getting broader and appreciating the work of Christ across the centuries, though, is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Jaron, like you said, that includes medieval Catholicism. But also, if you read a regular church history book in the West that does take in the medieval Catholic church, it's still likely to be very Western-centered. So one thing was a lot of fun. Uh, read a book a year or so back by an African scholar about Christian missions. And that was fascinating because he covered Africa and Asia um, as well as Europe. Um, so he covered Catholic missions, eventually more modern, the Protestant missions, um, but also things that were happening in, you know, non-Western China, um, India, and so on. And that was a very helpful perspective for me. Yeah. Do you have anything you would like to add? Not on that in particular, although I appreciate the push to not look at this only through Western lenses. But for many of us in the West who are in a Western tradition of the church, I wonder if the tension is between taking ownership of medieval Catholicism, and particularly the ugly parts, mm-hmm. and acknowledging that as part of our history and like accepting that, but also on the other side, it seems like some only use what happened in those 11 or 1200 years as something to criticize and to critique and to set ourselves in opposition to that. And I wonder if there is some middle ground where we acknowledge what happened and accept that as what led up to where we're at today, but also feel the um, liberty to, with charity, criticize and critique acknowledge the need for correction when there was really bad, genuine problems happening. Yeah, I think you said that well. And of course, apply that across 500 years of Anabaptist and evangelical history that we're involved in as well. Definitely. You know, it's the same approach. Yeah, it's okay. It's who we are. It's where we came from. It doesn't mean that we think it's all right or owning doesn't always mean defending either. It's acknowledging that it's there. We had a couple episodes with Chester Weaver where we talked about the impact of fundamentalism on Mennonite churches. Well, same thing. Let's own that. Like that is part of who conservative Mennonites are now. We have heavy fundamentalist influence, but some of that we're more okay with than others, but it's part of who we are. Well, thank you all for responding to that. I I find that interesting and 
I think maybe it'd be fun to, to go back to, to Mr. Russell, whose episode sparked this and, and maybe dig into this a little more, because this is, this is something I, I find for myself. I don't, like you were saying, not having enough, a full enough understanding of what church history is. It feels, you know, it's easy to go specialize in just narrow slices and miss the bigger picture. So yes, thanks for that question, Walter. Um, okay, so we're going to move on and pivot to a slightly different topic. This comes from Eric uh, and simply asks, how does one become a Mennonite? So I'm not sure what all the context is there. Yeah, I, I'm not sure where he's from and, and things, but maybe if you're watching this, Eric, you can contact us with more information. What, what would you all say to that question? Yeah, so the first thing I would ask is to return the question a little bit. Um, why are you asking the question? Often, I think it's coming because they see a lot of positive things. They look at the videos and say, okay, how does this work? And there's the real accessibility question like, okay, is this accessible? Could I become something? Do I have to be born here to fit in? I think that's part of the question. And one piece of that is simply that it is a challenge because you're crossing, you know, not only religious ideas, you're meshing with a group of people that have a different background. And like any other cultural meshing, there's um, going to be challenges. But I've seen a number of people that have done that well, people in churches that have done that well, seen others where maybe it didn't work as well. And maybe just a bit, we can dive into that a little bit, some of the things that went wrong. Um, but maybe first, Jaron, you have thoughts. I agree with what you're saying. But just to be more direct on how does a person become a Mennonite, that varies church to church. There's no official system for how one moves from being a Baptist or a Catholic or a non-believer to becoming a Mennonite. There's no set path, but it does occasionally happen. People who are not Mennonite or not born into the church um, or culture, I should say born to parents who are Mennonites since it's an individual choice for everybody. There's no one set route, but in general, it would need to happen in dialogue with local Mennonite church. And I can't give a comprehensive picture of what every local Mennonite church might request. But starting with the local church, I think would be the most clear path. Yeah, good. So find somebody, make connections, start to talk about it. Well, and that, but that goes perfectly with the next question that had come from Joseph going with what you said, or, or, and you're saying as well, connecting with the local church. He says this, I feel like there is all this stuff out there in video form or written. I guess he's maybe referring to, to our work and probably a number of others. There's, there's a number of other people making content like this. He said, and I am convinced. But then it's like, where are you? Can I be an Anabaptist when there is no Anabaptist church around? And this is a real thing where there just aren't churches in that vein, I guess you could say, in large chunks of America and around the world. What do you say to that? Because you were, you were saying, get, you know, connect with your local Mennonite church. What if there isn't one? So first of all, don't stop going to church. I mean, unless you are in a real abuse situation or something like that. Um, but barring those, don't become a loner uh, while looking for another church. Um, several routes you can go. Uh, one is you can still get into contact with a church or pastor somewhere, and there's dialogue. Uh, some people end up moving uh, when they're sure that that's um, what they want to do. On the other hand, we try to promote um, the teachings of Jesus. And 
even if you feel like you're not all that like-minded with where you're at, obviously start where you are. Okay, so you learned something from Anabaptist perspectives. Well, most of those things you can put into practice in your life independently of finding a church with an Anabaptist label. But it's also worth making the connections. Um, occasionally where those connections are strong enough, um, a church will end up starting out of that. Another perspective on that, we had asked a similar question of Alan Roth, who's done several episodes with us. And we had done a kind of off-the-record one uh, for our supporters, um, monthly partners, uh, where we asked him that question. And Alan ended up encouraging people to think about starting new churches if you find yourself in that situation. Um, we'll add a link to the notes here um, to that episode with Alan. I appreciate what you said about don't stop going to church. We have some level of enthusiasm about the Anabaptist tradition on Anabaptist perspectives. Um, we definitely think it's worth talking about, but that doesn't mean that we think everybody ought to be an Anabaptist. I mean, there's plenty of reasons why it doesn't work for somebody to be one, and the absence of a local church, I think, is a clear reason, unless you do what Marlon just recommended, <laughs> a start, start a church. But that doesn't work for everybody. So being an Anabaptist or going to an Anabaptist church isn't top priority. I would say much higher priority is living in faithfulness to Jesus, faithful discipleship, and things like that. And maybe that can be helped by an Anabaptist church. I think for many people, I think for everybody, living in a community of people who support those goals, whether that's an Anabaptist church or not, is important and very helpful. But even if you don't have such a support structure or a church, live faithfully for Jesus wherever you find yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very good. And yeah, a final observation there, uh, tie it back to the beginning of this video about owning your history. Uh, I recently read a book by uh, Becky McGurin, and she tells a story of how her and her husband, and they grew up as Roman Catholic, um, ended up going to an Episcopal church, um, later a kind of low church, evangelical Protestant church, and eventually ended up in a Mennonite church. Um, but what was striking to me as I read that is there was no resentment there. She talked very openly about the good things that she got at all four of those churches. So they were plugged in. They were engaged where they're at. Um, they did eventually end up making a cross-state move um, when they decided they wanted to join a Mennonite church. But they stayed there. And it goes back to kind of owning your history, you know, not reacting against uh, the first part of where they're at. So first of all, you know, work on your relationships where you're at before thinking about moving and then make it in a considered fashion. The bad stories I've seen about joining Mennonite churches have been the people that, you know, quickly decide to place their ad is so terrible and they got to get away from it. And often what happens is they'll move through a cycle of Mennonite churches and decide each of them is so terrible. And then eventually they'll go out kind of on their own. And you don't want to do that. That's the biggest reason I say slow down, you know, work on relationships where you're at make your move when you're ready because um, you don't want to you don't want to make a circuit and get burned out with a bunch of churches although I also understand you know there are emergencies there are situations where for whatever reason you have to make a move quickly or whatever and yeah want to wish people God's presence when that is the situation you have to deal with as well mm -hmm. yeah very good that is the last question I had on the list is there anything else either of you would like to add before we close the episode? I don't think so. All right. 
thank you all for uh, submitting the questions. And we'll be doing another episode um, answering some more audience questions. So stay tuned for that. As always, you can find our content over at our website. And we would love to hear your feedback. Uh, What did you think of what was shared today? Do you have more questions? Thank you so much. We will catch you in the next episode. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We'd love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.